Jesus Begins Public Ministry, Part 9, Jesus and the Shepherd Village of Jimki. Jesus journeyed during the night between two valleys. I saw him sometimes conversing with his followers, then again falling behind and praying on his knees to the Father, after which he again rejoined them. On the following afternoon, I saw him arrive at a shepherd village, whose houses lay scattered here and there. It possessed a school, but no resident priest. The people were attended by one from a distance. When Jesus arrived, the school was closed. He assembled the shepherds in an apartment of the inn, and there instructed them. As the Sabbath was approaching, there came that evening several priests of the sect of the Pharisees, some of them from Nazareth. Jesus spoke of baptism and the near advent of the Messiah. The Pharisees were very hostile toward him. They spoke of his humble origin and tried to make little of him. Jesus slept here that night. Jesus, in his instructions on the Sabbath, expounded many parables. He called for a grain of mustard seed, and when they brought it to him, he spoke for some time of it, saying that if they had faith equal only to a grain of that seed, they would be able to transport the pear tree before them into the sea. A large pear tree laden with fruit stood nearby. The Pharisees mocked at his teaching, which they considered childish. Jesus explained at length, but I have forgotten. He also recounted the parable of the unjust steward. The people of this place and of the whole country around were in admiration of Jesus. They related what they had heard from their fathers of the teaching and works of the last prophets, and they compared this new teacher to them with this exception, however, that he was much milder. The shepherd's settlement was named Chimki. The hills of Nazareth could be discerned in the distance, for they were only about two hours off. It was a scattered little place, a few houses only around the synagogue. Jesus took up his abode with a poor family, the mistress of which lay sick of the dropsy. He had compassion upon her and cured her, laying his hand upon her head and stomach. She was perfectly restored and served her guest at table. Jesus forbade her to speak of what had happened until he should have returned from the baptism. Whereupon she asked why she might not tell it everywhere. Jesus answered, If thou wilt publish it everywhere, thou shalt become dumb. And she did become dumb, and remained so until his return from baptism. At this time it may have been about fourteen days until then, for at Bethulia, or Jezreel, he had spoken of three weeks. Jesus taught three days in the synagogue of this place. The Pharisees were greatly incensed against him. He spoke of the coming of the Messiah, saying, Ye are expecting him to appear surrounded by worldly glory, but he is already come, and he will make his appearance as a poor man. He will teach truth. He will get more blame than praise, for he wills justice, but separate not from him, that ye may not be lost. Be not like those children of Noah who mocked him when he so laboriously built the ark that was to save them from the flood. All they that derided not went into the ark and were saved. Then turning to his disciples, he addressed them, saying, Separate not from me like Lot from Abraham, when, 
Seeking more fertile regions, he went to Sodom and Gomorrah, and looked not around after the glory of the world, which fire from heaven shall destroy, that ye may not be turned into pillars of salt. Remain with me under every trial. I will always help you, etc. The Pharisees, still more irritated, exclaimed, What is this that he promises them, saying that he has nothing himself? Then turning to him, they asked, Art thou not from Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Mary? But Jesus answered evasively that he whose son he was would manifest it. Then they continued, Why dost thou speak here as elsewhere of the Messiah? We have heard of thy teaching. Thinkest thou, indeed, that we shall imagine that thou meanest thyself? Jesus answered, Upon that question I have nothing to say, excepting these words. Yes, ye do think it. The excitement in the synagogue became great. The Pharisees extinguished the lights, while Jesus and the disciples, though it was night, left the place and journeyed some distance along the high road. They saw them sleeping under a tree. Part 10. Jesus in a shepherd village near Nazareth. On the following morning, I saw crowds of people on the road waiting for Jesus. They had not been with him in that last place, but had gone on ahead of him. I saw him turning aside from the road with them, at about three o'clock in the afternoon, coming up to another shepherd field. In it were only some light huts occupied by the shepherds in grazing time. There were no women here. The shepherds went forward to meet Jesus. They must have been informed of his coming by those that had gone on before. While some of their number went to meet him, the others busied themselves killing birds and lighting a fire in order to prepare a meal. This took place in an open hall, something like an inn, the fireplace being separated from the guest room by a wall. All around the hall ran a mossy bank with a plaited support for the back overgrown by green foliage. The hosts led the Lord and his followers in, about twenty in number, equal to that of the shepherds themselves. All washed their feet, a separate basin being assigned to Jesus. He asked for more water and, after using it, commanded it not be thrown out. When all were ready for table, Jesus questioned the shepherds, who appeared anxious about something as to the cause of their trouble, and asked if there was not some of their number absent. In answer to his questions, they acknowledged that they were sad on account of two of their companions who were lying sick of leprosy, fearing that it might be the unclean leprosy, and dreading lest Jesus might not come to them on that account, they had taken care to conceal them. But Jesus ordered them to be brought before him, and he sent some of his disciples after them. At last they appeared so closely enveloped from head to foot in sheets that it was with great difficulty they could walk, though each was supported on either side. Jesus addressed them, telling them that their leprosy had come not from within, but from an outward infection. While he spoke, I was spiritually enlightened that not through malice, but through temptation they had sinned. Jesus commanded them to wash in the water which he had used for his feet. They obeyed, and I saw the crusts falling from them, leaving the scars behind. The water was then poured into a hole in the ground and covered with earth. Jesus strictly commanded the good people to say not a word of their cure, 
until he should have returned from the baptism. He afterward gave an instruction upon John, the baptism, and the coming of the Messiah. His hearers questioned him, very simply as to which they should follow, himself or John, and the desire to know which was the greater. Jesus answered, The greatest is he who serves as the least and last of all, he who for the love of God humbles himself as the least, he is the greatest. He had exhorted them also to go to the baptism, spoke of the difficulties to be encountered in following him, and sent away all that had done so, excepting the five disciples. He appointed a meeting place in the desert, not far from Jericho, I think in the region of Ophrah. Jochum had owned a pasture ground in those parts. Some of Jesus' hearers left him entirely, some went straight to John, while others returned home to prepare for their journey to the baptism. Jesus and the five disciples afterward went on to Nazareth, which at most was only about a short hour's distance. They approached by the side whose gate opens to the east, on the road leading to the Sea of Galilee, but they went not into the city. Nazareth had five gates. A little less than a quarter of an hour's distance from the city rose the mountain from whose steep summit they often hurled people, and whence, at a later period, they wanted to cast Jesus. At the foot of this mountain lay some huts. Jesus directed the five disciples to seek lodgings in them, as he did himself. They were supplied with water to wash their feet, a piece of bread, and a place in which to sleep. Anne's property lay to the east of Nazareth. The shepherds had bread baked in the ashes, also a well dug in the earth, but without masonry. Part 11. Jesus with Eliud, the Asinian. The valley through which Jesus went by night from Kisloth Tabor is called Edron, and the shepherd village in whose synagogue the Pharisees of Nazareth had so derided him was named Chimki. The people with whom Jesus and the five disciples put up outside of Nazareth were Sinians and friends of the Holy Family. The Sinians, both men and women, dwelt around here in the ruins of old stone vaults, solitary and unmarried. The former wore long white garments, the latter mantles, and both cultivated little gardens. They had once dwelt near Herod's castle in the valley of Zabulon, but out of friendship for the Holy Family had come hither. He with whom Jesus stayed was named Iliad. He was a very venerable, gray-haired old man with a long beard. He was a widower, and his daughter took care of him. He was the son of a brother of Zacharias. The Asinians lived very retired around here, attended the synagogue at Nazareth, and were very devoted to the Holy Family. The care of Mary's house during her absence had been entrusted to them. Next morning, the five disciples of Jesus went into Nazareth to visit their relatives and acquaintances, also the school. Jesus, however, had stayed with Iliad, with whom he prayed and very confidentially conversed, for to that simple-hearted, pious man many mysteries had been revealed. There were four women in Mary's house besides herself, her niece, Mary Cleophas, Johanna Cusa, a cousin of Anna the prophetess, the relative of Simeon, Mary, mother of John, Mark, and the widow, Leah. Veronica was no longer there, nor was Peter's wife, whom I had lately seen at the place where the publicans lived. The Blessed Virgin and Mary Cleophas came to Jesus in the morning. 
Jesus stretched out his hand to his mother, his manner to her being affectionate, though very earnest and grave. Mary was anxious about him. She begged him not to go to Nazareth, for the feeling against him there was very bitter. The Pharisees belonging to Nazareth, who had heard him in the synagogue of Chimki, had again roused indignation against him. Jesus replied to his mother's entreaties that he would await where he was the multitude, that they were to go with him to the baptism of John, and then pass through Nazareth. Jesus conversed much with his mother on this day, for she came to him two or three times. He told her that he would go up to Jerusalem three times for the potch, but that the last time would be one of great affliction for her. He revealed to her many other mysteries, but I have forgotten them. Mary Cleophas was a handsome, distinguished-looking woman. She spoke with Jesus that morning of her five sons, and entreated him to take them into his own service. One was a clerk, or kind of magistrate, named Simon. Two were fishermen, James the Less and Jude Thaddeus, and these three were the sons of her first marriage. Alphaeus, her first husband, was a widower with one son when she married him. The stepson was named Matthew. She wept bitterly when she spoke of him, for he was a publican. Joseph Barsabbas, who also was at the fishery, was her son by her second husband, Sabbas, and by her third marriage with the fisherman Jonas. She had another son, the young Simeon, still a boy. Jesus consoled her, promising that all her sons would one day follow him. Of Matthew, whom he had already seen when on his way to Sidon, he spoke words of comfort, foretelling that he would one day be one of his best disciples. The Blessed Virgin returned from Nazareth with some of her female relatives to her abode near Capernaum. Servants had come with asses from the latter place to conduct them home. They took several pieces of furniture with them, which, after their last journey, had been left behind in Nazareth. Various kinds of tapestry and woven stuffs, packages of other things, and some vessels. All were packed in chests, formed to broad strips of inner or outer bark, and fastened to the sides of the asses. Mary's house in Nazareth was so ornamented that it had, during her absence, the appearance of a chapel. The fireplace looked like an altar. A chest was placed over it on which stood a flower pot and a plant growing in it. After Mary's departure this time, the Assyrians occupied the house.